today, for those of you that don't know me, I am Pastor Jose, I'm the lead pastor here, and I have the privilege today to do one thing, not to give you an opinion, to simply point you to the Word of God, because the Word of God is enough. The Word of God is true. But how many of you know that faith is also fun, right? Some of you don't know that. Maybe you went to the church that I went at, I never saw you there, but the church that I went at, faith was never fun. Faith was fearful, right? That's how I grew up. But we can have faith and at the same time have fun. And so we're going to have some fun for the next couple of weeks. We're starting a brand new series called Don't Be a Grinch. Say that with me. Don't be a Grinch. Don't be a Grinch. Go ahead and tell three people you didn't come with, don't be a Grinch. Don't be a Grinch. And listen, if they get offended, don't worry about it. Let them stay Grinchy. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. Listen, we're going to have some fun, right? We're not uh, replacing the gospel but what we are doing is having some fun by pointing out a real issue. You know, the Grinch was a grouchy, solitary creature. He lived alone. Everything was bad in his eyes. He could not appreciate the joy in people. He could not appreciate uh, the love amongst others. He was a Grinch. And the, the sad thing is that the Grinch withheld the joy that was available to him from himself, right? He lived amongst a group of people known as the Who's. And they lived in a church called Church at the Bridge. I mean, Whoville. <laughs> they lived in a place called Whoville. But what was interesting about these Who's is that they were a people full of cheer. They were a people who were warm-hearted. They cared about each other and others. And you know, in essence, that's the gospel. Jesus put it this way. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. He put it simple. He says, guys, let me simplify this for you. Love God and love people. Love God and love people. It's that simple. That's the new commandment, right? And so we can't be Grinches, ladies and gentlemen. We can't get Grinchy in life. Because when we live as Grinches, not only do we withhold what God has for us because we set a stop to it, we stop what God wants to do in us and through us. And I'm telling you, God wants you to have a great life. But he also wants to use your life to instill great things in others. Amen? Amen? And so look, back to the Grinch. The Grinch was a, a, a grouchy kind of guy, right? He was in competition with another green guy called Oscar the Grouch, right? Some of you are too young for that. I get it. Some of you are too old for that. I get it. I grew up in that era. I know who Oscar the Grouch is. But anyway, the Grinch was constantly annoyed at the Who's especially around Christmas time. Because according to the story, for the last 53 years, up until this point where we're going to pick up in the story, he had to deal with all their joy and all their songs and all their festivities and all their feasts. And so the Grinch decides, I'm going to cancel Christmas. And what he does is he disguises himself as this fat guy, right, and puts on a red suit called Santa, right? You do know Santa's not real, right? Just saying. Just want to make sure I'm in the right church, right? So he disguises himself as this guy named Santa. Oh, matter of fact, look, he's joining us. Uh, he disguises himself as this guy Santa, and he goes into Whoville, and he goes from chimney to chimney and house to house, and he begins to steal all the presents and steal all the food for the feast, and even steals trees along the way. And in one of these houses, a little girl named Cindy Hulu, loving little two-year-old girl, sees him taking the tree 
and she's perplexed. She's saying, why are you taking the tree? And he lies to her. He says, well, one of the lights is out on the tree, so I'm going to take it back and fix it, and we'll bring it back. And so he thinks he's canceled Christmas. And he goes up back to Mount Crumpet where he lives and he's staring over the other side, a steep part of the mountain, which he calls the abyss. And he's relishing the moment where he's going to hear all these songs of lament. He's looking forward to seeing them in tears because he thinks they don't have presents. They don't have the food to feast. They don't have trees. I've stolen Christmas. But instead what he hears is the songs of joy. Instead, what he sees is these people rejoicing as if they had received everything. And in that moment, the story says, and I quote, that the Grinch questions, maybe Christmas means a little bit more. Maybe it means just a little bit more. See, what the Grinch did not realize is that Christmas wasn't in the presence. And if I could just bring this really close, near and dear to our hearts. Christmas is not about a season. Christmas is not about a day. Christmas is about Christ. And friends, can I tell you that Christmas is every day because the moment we deduce the gospel to presence, we lose the presence of God at work in our lives. We forsake God. The good thing is he doesn't forsake us. And so it's interesting to note, just a fun fact that I came across, that when the uh, writer of this, this little children's book, uh, a guy who went under the pseudonym Dr. Seuss, when he wrote this book, he actually did it as a, at a, as a criticism of what was happening in the day. It was the commercialization of Christmas. He was criticizing how they commercialized not just Christmas. Friends, it was what it's really about. It's about Christ. Right? And so, look, I get it. You might not be a Grinch. You might not be the Grinch. But let's be honest. Every single one of us has been, is, or at some point will face the opportunity to be a Grinch. Let me tell you why. Because at times we forget about Christ. We forget about his presence. We neglect his purposes. We take our eyes off of the right things so that we can look upon the wrong things and somehow we convince ourselves that it's right. And so today I want you to join with me as we lean into God's word. I want to talk to you today on the topic, enlarge my heart. Enlarge my heart. I pray that you would consider the magnitude of those words and that you would personalize them, that it would become real for you, that it would become the cry of your heart enlarge my heart. There's an interesting little detail in the story of the Grinch, which I feel, which to me, it it really does have huge biblical implications. And it's this, it's that what made the Grinch the Grinch was that his heart was two sizes too small. He had no room. He had no room for what the who's knew He had no room for the joy. He had no room for the reality of what Christmas was really about. And friends, it's for that reason that we must take seriously what the scriptures say. Let me me point you to the word of God for a moment. Proverbs 4.23 says this. Read these first three words with me. Above all else. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Did I just 
translated to another church? Let me, let, let's get back. Let's rewind. All right, read this with me. Above all else. That was awesome. Yeah, okay. I, I thought I was at church at the bridge, right? Above all else. Listen, above all else, guard your heart. Above your desires for money. Above your endeavors for life. Above what you aspire to. Above what you're seeking. Above what you want. Above what you have. Above all else. Make life. Be, be careful about this in life. Make sure that this is a number one priority. Above all else, guard your heart. Watch this. For everything you do flows from it. Everything we do, everything we experience. You can't say that. Oh, whoa, whoa. Listen. What's in the heart determines the flow of your life. And sometimes we might undergo things at the hands of other people, but what was in our heart led us to those relationships. Ouch. Right? Let's talk about it, right? See, the Grinch could not understand the who's joy because his heart was too small to contain what they knew. And what, what I love about the scriptures is that when the scriptures talk about the heart, it's not necessarily talking about the organ beating in our chest. When it refers to the heart, it's really talking about the center of our affections. It's talking about where our will and desires and passions and our beliefs not only are not only born, but where they exist, where we conceive things. And the scripture is telling us that we should guard our hearts because, you see, what we allow in our hearts determines what we become in life. It affects us. And so we must be careful to understand the joy that it is to have life with Christ, to be in relationship with God. Because if we don't, like the Grinch, our hearts will grow cold. Our hearts will shrink. And you know what that means? We won't have room for God. But more than just room for God, we won't have room the purposes and plans, the blessing, the provision, the wisdom, the strength, the healing, the power of God. I don't know about you. I'm not interested in being a Grinch. Got to tell somebody if you believe that. Don't be a Grinch. Yeah, don't be a Grinch. Now, the scriptures give us a great example in this regard through the life of a man. This guy was a big man with a small heart. The book of Matthew records that at the birth of Jesus, at the coming of the Savior of the world, that there was a man in Judea who was the ruling king. This man's name was Herod, but it wasn't just Herod. His name was Herod the Great. Everyone knew him as Herod the Great. You know, it's crazy. It was a self-acclaimed title. Can you imagine somebody introducing themselves and say, hey, how you doing, man? My name is Jose, Jose the Great. Just call me Jose the Great. Right? <laughs> right? Jose the Great. Like, think about that. This guy went around introducing himself. Self-proclaimed the Great. But the reality is that there was a reason for that. You see, in his heart, he saw himself as bigger than life. And because he was the biggest thing in his life, there was no room for anything else. 
And so the scripture tells us that wise men from the east, magi, that they came because they were familiar with the prophecies concerning the coming of Christ, his birth, when God would come into the earth as a man for the express purpose of relating to men, undergoing what men, with, uh, what men underwent, and then conquering those very challenges for the purpose of making a way for us to have a new life. And so these, these great men, these magi, they were familiar with the prophecies concerning Christ. And so they come to Herod, and they're seeking to find Jesus. Let's see what happened. Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 2, says, And they asked, Where is the one uh, who was born king of the Jews? Where was the one born king? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard, I'm sorry, and when King Herod heard this, Watch what the scripture says. It says that he was disturbed. He was disturbed, but not just Herod. All Jerusalem was disturbed with him, right? So when he had called together all the peoples, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. What did the prophecy say? And they responded to him in Bethlehem and Judea, for they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. It says, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Watch this. It says, then Herod called the Magi and secretly, he called them secretly, and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And watch what he says to them. It says that he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, as soon as you find him, Report back to me so that I too may go and worship him, right? So it would appear at first glance that Herod had a strong desire to seek and find Christ. In fact, he did. He did have a strong desire to find him. But while his words give the appearance that he wanted to go worship Jesus, his heart told a different story, friends. His heart told a different story. If you study this out, what you'll see is that he wanted to kill Jesus. And verse 3 tells us why his heart told a different story. Verse 3 says that he was disturbed. And what's interesting is that all Jerusalem was disturbed with him. In the Greek, that word disturbed there speaks of a restlessness. It speaks of a distress. It speaks of being struck with fear and dread and agitation and inward commotion. In other words, he heard this and it completely rocked his world. And the question is why, and I'll tell you why, friends. It's because he had no room for another king. For another king to come into Judea, into the region, meant that he couldn't be king. And in Herod's book, there's no one greater than I. So he has to die. If you look at this uh, more so, and I'm, I'm not going to dig into this too much, what you'll see is that Herod could not find out. The Magi, they were warned by God and they went another way. They didn't go back to him. And so he, he finds out that they left him, that they didn't come back. And so he says, kill all the children under two years old in this entire region. That tells us something, friends. That tells us something that we should all consider. That no matter how hard we try, we cannot get away from our hearts. 
Listen closely. Whatever's in your heart, you'll do. Consider that. Whatever's in our hearts, that we will do. We can't get away from it. Or we can fake it. We can even try and make it. But we can't get away from it. And it's for that reason that we have to take seriously. It stands to reason that we must be diligent about doing what is necessary to avoid the shrinking of our hearts. I want to share with you just a couple of things for reflection and application. And this is important. This part is important because what good is it to hear truth? What good is it to consider the word of God if we do nothing with it? The scripture puts it this way. Do not only be hearers of the word, but be doers. And I would encourage you at this for the next couple of minutes that we have, that as we listen to the word of God and the instruction that it gives us, that we would ask ourselves, God, what do you want me to do? God, what are you revealing to me? God, what light are you shedding in my life? Right? And so the first point that I want to propose to you for reflection and application is that the only one who can satisfy the heart is the one who made it. Let me say that again. The only one who can satisfy the heart is the one who made it. This, this guy Herod was not unlike many of us today. And look, if the shoe fits, don't wear it. It's time to change it. Today's a day of decision. Today's a day where things can turn around. But Herod was not unlike many people today, maybe even, even amongst us. He was looking out for self. He was climbing to the top and never getting there. He was stepping on others along the way. He was focused on more. He was fighting for what he believed he was due. He was chasing bigger and better. The problem is, if our life focus is to go, get, to go bigger and get better, if that's the focus, that's the intent, that's what's in our heart, we're living too small. Because God's not in it, friend. God's not in it. See, God is a big God, and God does big things. Pastor Nett referenced it where it talks about how he does exceedingly abundantly above and beyond what we ask or imagine, but it's according to the work in us. And oftentimes what's working in our hearts becomes the very limit to what God wants to do. Go ahead and tell three people, get out the way. Tell somebody else, get out the way. Get out the way. You know, like Herod, the thought of a king in our lives, for some of us, it's offensive. It's offensive. Let me tell you why. Because it requires that we relinquish control. That we relinquish leadership of our lives. That we relinquish plans that we made for our lives. Not God. That we relinquish control. And you know, control is something that the Grinch struggled with. Control is a con. Control is a con. You know why control is a con? Because control convinces us that we're good on our own. Control is a con because it contradicts the plans and the purposes that God's word reveals for our lives. Control is a con because it contracts the heart by means of our own hands. 
by means of our own lives. Listen, you can crush your life. And while God is all-powerful and all-good, he's also true to his word. He will not take control that you will not let him have. See, control is a con. Herod had a heart two sizes too small. And as such, he would not make room for what God wanted to do in his life. Don't be a Grinch, friend. Don't, don't get Grinchy. Don't stoop that low. God has more for you. But you see, it is within the power that work in you. And so Proverbs 14, 12 puts it this way. There is a way that seems right to a man. Let me, let me translate that for you in layman's terms. There's our plan. But its end is the way of death. Its end is the way of death. And what I want you to see, according to the scripture as we're looking to it, is that control kills. Control kills. And control kills by our own hand, by our own decisions, by our own stubbornness, by our own ignorance of the truth. And we have to really consider the reality that we must relinquish control. I remember when I was a kid, 12 years old, true story. I'll give you the short story of a long one, right? 12 years old, we were going to the beach, and uh, we lived all the way in Upper Manhattan, way uptown in Upper Manhattan, and uh, we were going to the beach, and we would always go to the beach. Why, I don't know, but we would always go to Far Rockaway. And it was far. It was a two-hour ride on the A train, right? So we would get on the train. So my, my brother-in-law... Uh, who was with my sister at the time, they, they were living with us at that time. They were young, you know, had a baby, my nephew. And so they were living with us. And my, 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 my brother-in-law had a really good idea. A really, you know, he had the right heart in what he was trying to do. He went and borrowed his friend's Volvo. How he thought we were all going to fit in there. You know, like Hispanics, we're like roaches, man. We're everywhere, man. No disrespect, guys, but I'm just saying, you know. I didn't say we are roaches, all right? I'm just clarifying. I did not say that, right? You're online. Just track with me. I know you're with me. But listen, so anyway, he gets this Volvo, and he wakes me up at like 6 in the morning, right? He's trying to like surprise everybody. He knocks on my door, and I open up, and I go, what's up? He goes, man, I, I got a car. I want to surprise your mom and everybody. We're going to go to the beach in a car today. I'm like, oh, man, it's awesome. He goes, you want to go see it? I said, sure. He goes, come on, let's go for a drive. So we go, and we get in this car, and he starts driving, and then... This idiot does the stupidest thing that you could think of. You're going to see why I call him idiot. He turns to me in the middle of a hill, right, in upper Manhattan, and he says to me, do you know how to drive? 12 years old. What do you think my response was? Of course I know how to drive. Do you want to drive? Of course I want to drive. So short of the long story is I get in the driver's seat. I'm driving the car, right? He sees the car coming. He freaks out. He goes, stop the car, stop the car. I get into my 12-year-old mode, and I have a little 12-year-old fit, and I go to throw the car into park, and I ended up throwing it into reverse, and he tells me to get out, so I stop my foot. I hit the gas, and we crash the car into a tree. What's my point with that story? Listen, if you're going to give control, to anyone, 
You're going to give control of your life to anyone. It should be to one who can truly satisfy you and knows the way and how to get you to your life's destination. Friend, that's God. And only God. The solution, according to Proverbs 19.21, is this. It says that there are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. So what is this word counsel? What is he talking about? The word counsel here, according to the Hebrew, speaks of so much more than just advice. It's advisement that leads us to a place of purpose. Right? It's not just a good idea. It's a God idea. It's God's ideal for our lives. And so what I want you to consider is that there is a plan for our lives that is not ours. There's a plan for your life, friend, that's not yours. It's not yours. It's God's. And that plan, when we submit to that plan, when we relinquish control, when we stop being a Grinch or we stop, precious, my precious. When we stop that nonsense and we surrender to God truly, like truly, there's counsel there. And that counsel leads us to purpose, to what this is really all about. And according to the scripture, it is that plan that stands. It's that plan that stands. The next point I want to submit to you for reflection and application is that the best way to mend a broken heart, listen, is to give God all the pieces. The best way to mend a broken heart is to give God all the pieces. You know, we've all been there. Maybe you find yourself there. At some point, maybe you'll find yourself faced with this possibility of brokenness in the heart. And look, I'm not just talking about, he broke my heart, he broke my heart. I mean, I get that. I'm talking about a heart that deviates from the truth. I'm talking about a heart that begins to neglect God. I'm talking about a heart that leads us to broken results. And somehow we think we've got it together. Know what I'm talking about? I, I, know, I know I've been there. But one of the reasons that the heart shrivels is because we try to fix something that we're not capable of. It's like... Having a broken heart and going to a butcher, and a butcher can cut your heart out. A butcher can chop your heart up, but only a surgeon can fix it. And I want you to see something. I've never seen this before in the scriptures until I started really looking at what we're talking about in this series. And, and, and when I studied this out in the original language, it, was, it blew me away because Psalm 147 verse 3 says, He heals the brokenhearted. And he binds up their wounds. What's interesting is that in the Hebrew, the word heals there literally refers to a physician who is fixing something. A physician who is performing a surgery. What we are seeing here in the scripture that the only one who can fix the heart is God the master surgeon. Only God can fix the heart. And in the scripture, it depicts his loving manner in which he does it because it tells us that he binds up. He binds up our wounds. And in the Hebrew, when it talks about binding, it's talking about bandaging. But bandaging in a way that protects. 
that envelops, that ensures that the healing becomes complete. In essence, what the scripture is showing us here is this, that only God can fix our hearts, and when we allow him to fix our hearts, he envelops us in such a way with his love, with his grace, with his mercy, with his truth, with his wisdom, with his people, with his church, with the revelation of his purposes, with the correct understanding of who Christ is and who we are in Christ. When we allow that, that begins to envelop our hearts and it not only wraps around our lives, it, it begins to heal our hearts to the extent that what was once infectious and allowable now no longer fits. You know why? Because only God can fix the heart. So can I give you a good piece of advice, friend? We must be willing we must be surrendered in this regard to allow God to fix what's broken. So stop playing like we're in kindergarten and trying to figure out puzzles and allow God to do what he does best. That takes willingness. Psalm 51 verse 10 says this. This is the words of King David. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God. Create in me a complete heart. Restore my heart is what he's saying and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Get me back to the place, Lord. Help me get back to this place where I'm completely devoted to you. And what I love about the scripture is that if you look at the context for these words, David had created a mess. He looked upon a woman who was married to another man. He desired her. He sent for her. He slept with her, had a child with her. And then he kills her husband who was one of his uh, mighty men, he kills her husband, and what's crazy about it is this, he kills her husband to hide the fact, right, that this happened. And he also betrays this husband's father, who was one of his most trusted men in his council, his royal council. David really messed things up. But what we see here is this, that while David messed up, while David lied, while David killed, while David did some of the vilest things that we could do, David was willing to heal. He was willing to heal. And it wasn't by saying, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me restore some lands to you and your family. Let me make sure your family's taken care of. No, David turned to God and he said, God created me a pure heart. God, I'm willing. It's the very reason why David till this day is remembered, not for his mistakes, but for the lineage that came from him, the Christ. Friend, that's our story too. God redeems and restores the broken heart. God, God turns, he, he creates beauty from ashes. He gives strength where there was weakness. He restores what the locusts is eating, the scripture says. God can do that in your life and mine, but it requires a willingness for our hearts to be made whole. The last point I want to leave you with here today for reflection and application is that when we have a changed heart, when we have a change of heart, we open the door to a changed life. We open the door to a changed life. Herod had the same opportunity that everyone else in Judea and in that region had. I'll prove it to you. 
The scripture says that at the revelation of the birth of Christ, that a massive oration, a song, all in the heavens broke out. And the angels sang and they declared, peace unto you. There is peace between God and amongst all men. God came for the entire world. John 3.16 tells us that. John 3.17 tells us that he did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. He came with the right intention. He came with the right heart. Which leads me to this point here that we're getting at. Herod had an opportunity to receive the same gift that everyone else could that day. He didn't. And the scriptures revealed that as a result, he destroyed everything around him. And his end was destruction. The Bible talks about a guy named Saul. This guy Saul was a man who believed he was doing the will of God. He was so convinced by the con that had been run on him that God wanted only Jewish people to know him. That when he heard about this group of people that began to arise called Christians, these churches that began to rise up, he was seething with anger. So he went on a life mission to kill Christians, to kill God's people. You see, he didn't know it though because he had no room for God. Well, one day while he's on a road to a place called Damascus, he has this encounter. He gets knocked off of his horse and there's this light that's shining. It's so bright that the scripture says that it blinds him. It leaves him blind. And he hears an audible voice that everyone else around him heard with him in his company. And the voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? Who is this speaking to me? And Jesus introduces himself to him and he says, I am Jesus, the Christ. I'm the one you're trying to kill. You're trying to cancel, not just my message, you're trying to cancel who I am. I love what Acts 9, 6 says in the first half of it. It says, so he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Listen, this is a life-defining moment in this man's life. God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do? I've done it all. I thought I knew you. I thought I knew what your life plan was for me. I thought I had it all together. And it was at this point that Saul was transformed in his heart. The scripture says that he went on to the home of a person named Ananias who God had instructed him to go to. And when he gets there, Ananias prays for him. And when Ananias prays for him and tells him what God's plan is for his life, the scripture says that scales, what was like scales, began to fall off his eyes. I imagine that it was some form of calcification of his skin that grew over his eyes to the extent that they were shut. And for the very first time, Paul experienced sight. Before that, he had seen in life. 
But for this very first time, Paul, like many of us, had sight to see. God, my life is better in your hands than it's been in mine. If we could just be honest with ourselves, man, we mess things up. Even with right intentions, we mess things up. But you see, Saul later became known as Paul. The word Paul, the name Paul means small one. In essence, I'm no longer the big guy in my life. You are, Lord. Is there anyone in this house today that says, God, what do you want me to do? I'm done with control. I'm done with conning myself. I'm done with living a lie. Let's stand here today as we come to a close. I believe that what we have right now is a holy moment. A holy moment. And I say that based upon the fact that the scripture says that it is in the hearing of the word that faith comes. See, what God wants to do in our lives through faith and by faith is born out of hearing God's word. And today we all have the same opportunity. We've all heard the truth in the scriptures. And in the hearing of that truth, we're faced with a reality. Will I give God control? Will I enlarge my heart to make room for you, mighty God? See, the issue isn't God. Because even when we don't fit, he's still present. The issue is, will we make room? Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.